we have to be open to hear the hurt, to hear the wound, and then suppress our desire to defend. Welcome back to the Deacon's Den for part two of our discussion on the deacon as a bridge builder to healing, or as my partner in crime, Deacon Joe, prefers to describe it, the bridge builder to relationships. Did I get that right or did I miss it, Joe? No, I think you got it right. I got it right. Okay, it's a good start to the episode then. You know, we covered a lot of ground in our last episode talking about the role that a deacon can and must play in promoting healing and developing new relationships in the areas as diverse as the transition of pastors or associate priests, or even in addressing the political schisms that are so prevalent in our society today, which in turn cause division in our parishes. And we received a lot of positive feedback on that last episode, which I think speaks to the hunger that all of us feel to be conduits to healing in our broken society and to be bridge builders to new relationships in our parishes. It's not always easy, of course, as, believe it or not, deacons are people too, who can feel the same hurts and struggle with the same issues as everyone in our communities. But by the very nature of being configured to Christ the servant, we must put this call to serve the cause of healing ahead of our own personal opinions or feelings. So we talked about several keys to fulfilling that role, including practicing patience as we give others time to grieve losses they encounter, and to become comfortable with new relationships when they experience difficult transitions in our parishes. We discussed the need to prioritize hearing the other instead of insisting that we be heard, and working to always assume the best motives of others when we don't agree with them. And finally, we underlined the importance of always returning to the core gospel message of Jesus Christ and grounding all of our communication, including and especially on social media, on the foundation of love of God and love of neighbor. So today, Joe, let's tackle the one major issue we did not get to in the last episode, the role of the deacon in serving the cause of healing the hurts resulting from the abuse crisis scandal that exploded into the international consciousness almost two decades ago, and continues to have significant fallout today. Now, I'm not so foolish as to think we're going to come up with an instantaneous solution to make this all better, but let's see if we can provide our deacons some ideas of how we might be that bridge to healing that is still so needed. And, and just a warning as we start this episode, for some, this might be a difficult topic to listen to. And if you find this episode does raise unresolved emotions or issues, we strongly encourage you to seek out support from trusted and qualified resources. And if you do not feel you have anyone to turn to, please reach out to us, and we can help connect you with possible assistance through our friends at Catholic Charities of Central Florida. So with that in mind, let's get started. And Joe, I'd like to start with a question I hear with increasing frequency from not only the laity, but deacons as well. Why can't we just move past this? We know the church has implemented stringent guidelines for the protection of children and vulnerable people. Isn't that enough? Isn't it just the media that keeps this issue alive? I really think that it's we're, we're uncomfortable as ministers. Ministers typically fall into the range of conflict avoiders. Mm. And so we just want to move past things and say it's in the past. I mean, our nation has been doing that with all the sensitive topics, especially around racism. That's the one and violence that are in the forefront right now. It's like, well, we already got the laws on the book, so let's move past it. No, it doesn't disappear. The wounds don't go away. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the key. Even though we may know all the facts, the wounds, the feelings, the impact that it had on people, there's still people hurting out there, right? Right. And there's people that walked away that are mm. hurting, that are just wandering out there, wondering if anybody ever heard them or if they're just completely forgotten. Yeah. And appropriately, we do focus on those that were abused by the church. There's other forms of victimization that has taken place as well, too. You know, certainly the people that have been abused, that's unconscionable action that took place. We need to walk with them. We need to heal. And, and I like the point you made. Um, people have walked away because they have broken trust. And we need to reach out. We right. need to help them out. But there's lots of other types of victims as well. You know, I think of the many priests I know mm -hmm. who were innocent, you know, never committed any, you know, uh, crimes of this type, any abuses. And yet they were put into the same bucket with those that did. And they couldn't walk out in public wearing the clerics. They started going undercover. I mean, that's another form of victimization that has taken place we during agree. this crisis. Those, those false accusations hurt as much as an actual act. Right, because perception is reality, right? Exactly. So people perceive that you are in a class of people that uh, has victimized others. They just they lump you in, and that's certainly not fair. And there's a lot of people in you know uh, within the church as well too that love the church desperately. You know, uh, whether it be clergy or laity, and they love the church so much, and they're hurting from the church's wounds, and they're confused, and they're upset about. Uh, the lack of response at times or the slow response or the inappropriate response. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, this is this is an issue that's that's w I've walked with my entire diaconal career because it was 2002 when the Boston Globe articles came out. But we've done a lot of good things. In fact, the Catholic Church's policies have become the standard for many other institutions. Still, there are a lot of mistakes that have been made. And, and I think there's another challenge to this, is that there's many of us, and, and I'll lump myself into this one, that while I wasn't the most active Catholic in, when this broke out, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm basically oblivious to what was going on back then, mm -hmm. and therefore I'm saying, well, I, I, I don't see it, therefore it must not exist. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, and if it's not, it's not personal, right? Yes. Problems become much more real when they're personal. So that's that actually leads me to a second question, and you know, I'm not sure if you've had the experiences, but how has the scandal affected you, both as a Catholic and a, and I like the context you've started with. You weren't that involved in the church at the time when this broke, but obviously you're much more <laughs> involved in the church now. Uh, so as a Catholic and as a deacon. Personally, how do you feel impacted by this? There was a time where I, I kind of jotted down a little note to myself that I've, I, I con consider myself living a sheltered life. Hmm. You know, a solid family life. We may not have been going to church, but when I came back to church, I mean, it was all the euphoria of I found my faith again. And, and so until this, the most recent episodes, when the Pennsylvania report came out, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, my God, this is still going on. Yeah. And it happened 20 years ago and I didn't know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, being the kind of guy I am and the training that I've had and and self-reflective and understanding other people's hurts, especially in the realms of wounds and discrimination that, you know, I wrestled with it. What are we doing? Yes, I agree that we're doing all the right things now, 
but what are we doing to really reach out? And, and, and I didn't see myself in that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, as I said, for me, this broke just a few months before I was ordained. And what a set of conflicting emotions. You know, part of me wanted to at first just defend the church, right? Right. The church, the church is not that bad, right? The church didn't do this. This is all a fiction. This is a, uh, a smear job. And yet, as I heard and, and embraced the facts, and the facts are the facts, and there's some real uh, abuse and trauma that did take place. And then I, I started to second guess myself. Is this the church that I want to represent? Right. As, as a deacon, I am an official representative of the church. I'm part of the clergy, this, this clergy. And, and by the way, you know, it's, I, I think it's very important to remind people, this wasn't just priests that did this, right? Uh, it Abuse from a lot of people in power and privilege within the church. Uh, there was abuse by deacons. Mm-hmm. There was abuse by lay ministers. And again, it's not just a Catholic problem. As, is- we, as we know, this has happened in schools and in other institutions. But there is such a profound impact when it is done by people who represent God, right? Right. Because it becomes, it impacts the faith. It is almost as if, is God doing this to me? Am I being right. abused by the divine? Uh, and if not, then it tells me, or or it can lead me to the conclusion that this is this church does not represent God. So one of the two, no matter which way you go, this is a horrible thing, right. a horrible conclusion. And, and, and it's a it's a fracturing of trust. I mean, when you really think about priests, deacons, and like you said, what we represent, there's an automatic trust given there. Mm-hmm. And that's been broken. And so we've all been lumped into the same thing. The church is bad. And therefore, if you wear the collar or if you wear the stole, you're guilty. Yeah, guilty until proven innocent. And and so that's, I mean, that's the issue. And we know the issue. We don't need to, uh, you know, go through all of the details of it. It's very clear. There's this, a serious issue, problems that continue, response. Uh, there have been some, some great new policies and procedures and governance that has been put in place. But people are still hurting. As you right. said, there are victims of the actual abuse that have not come forward or have separated themselves from the church. There are people within the church that that bear the mark as well um, and, and the wounds of it. You know, it's kind of yeah. interesting how, you know, as I, as I reflect on it now, there's been little symptomatic revelations of this woundedness has been going on for a very long time. Correct. Yeah. You know, because there's so many other wounds. You know, when I, uh, I remember going to one my sister's church for a Bible study one day when I was up in New York on vacation, and the room was full of former Catholics, yeah. fallen away mm-hmm. Catholics, mm-hmm. and they were angry with us. Mm-hmm. And my sister's trying to shush them because she knew I was a deacon. And I said, no, you don't have to shush them. Mm-hmm. Let them open up. Tell right. me your wounds mm-hmm. because you're speaking this way because you were wounded. And I think you hit on something very important there, that if we are going to move to a role of healers of any kind in this, it is not going to be based on suppressing the wounds. It's not going to be denying it. It's not going to be, oh, it really wasn't that bad. It is going to be letting people express their hurt and their right. brokenness that is, has been a result of this. Um, that's I think that's a very important point because we want to. You know, I was, um, I was thinking about the personal encounters I've had during the course of these 20 years. 
with people who I would say are victims and in both primary and secondary victims, I would say. Mm -hmm. The primary victims, the ones actually abused. And, and I had a number of people come to me early on. Uh, I have friends that were abused by the church. I have had deacons who were abused by the church. And, and that's the other thing I would, I would mention, too, since this is the deacon's den and this is a, a podcast directed primarily at deacons. I know for a fact, and I'm sure you do, too, that there are deacons, men who are now ordained into the holy order of deacon, who were abused by the church early on. For many, uh, they've been able to reconcile it, right. get the treatment, get some support, but have have been able to understand that in the impact on them. There are also, and I know this as a statement of fact, there are deacons that have still suppressed it right. and have denied it and have hidden it. And that that's a brokenness that they need to be comfortable um, sharing with trusted people. And, and, and that's the vulnerability that we're... We, that really connects with other people. Mm -hmm. As I've worked with folks, you know, they, they've spent their entire life. You know, you tell yourself a story enough times that might be an untruth that it becomes true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, vulnerability. <laughs> uh, that's so important, right? Because any minister, and we try to teach our deacons in formation this all the time, or our men in formation for the diaconate all the time, you're not coming into a situation as this holy man floating above it. Right. No one needs someone like that. We think we do. We don't. Right. We need someone who can walk with us. Who can be in the dirt. Who can be in the dirt with it. Who can jump into the hole with us because they've been in the hole as well. You know, and then you take that bridge builders. To build a bridge, you don't float over the cavern. Right. You've got to go into the cavern. Right. But those... sometimes it's dark and mucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just brought in, up an image to me that that uh, amazes me, and we want. I, I'm gonna. Unfortunately, I'm going to get your CB brain working here, so don't <laughs> let it happen. But um, you know, living out in San Francisco, and they after the earthquake in '87, they mm -hmm. realized they had to rebuild the Bay Bridge. Right. And I watched them build this bridge in these pylons that they're putting deep into the bed of the bay under a whole lot of water. And this is what you're saying, is that we have to get down into right. it to be able to create the foundation that allows the bridge to be built. Really, in, in that image gives me the, the humility of St. Joseph. <laughs> you know, so grounded mm -hmm. into not himself, mm -hmm. but in what God has called him to do. Yeah. And I like the way you always work your patron saint into every conversation. So, so well done, Joe. Well done. Uh, no, obviously the the church is dedicated to Joseph in yes. a special way this year. So I think that's that's a great a great image for us to hold on to. You know, about two years ago, and I can't believe it's two years ago, pre-pandemic, which makes it seem so long ago. That's yeah. that seems like a whole different world to us. You and I had the opportunity, as did others here in our diocese to participate in a program piloted by the diocese created by Renew International. It's called Healing Our Church. I'd like you to take a moment to describe that program for people who are not familiar with it and just give me a few thoughts on how you feel that process worked because it really was a pilot for us in this diocese. So for, for me working with the program, it was I believe it was a 10-week program where we actually sat down and, and we kind of stack the deck a little bit. We chose who we were going to have in our group, so it wasn't really a completely open group. Mm -hmm. But what I found out during that process as it walked through the stages of 
helping people open their hearts mm -hmm. to see anew their life experience. And it really opened up for some in the group that, yes, I witnessed it, but I was torn. Mm -hmm. But what I should do because of it was a priest. Yeah. And the mentality, you know, we realized how much we hold priests in esteem. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, even even the, they they would share that even their families would punish the children if they said anything bad about the priest. Mm -hmm. All of it contributed to allowing it to happen to a certain extent. You know, I'm, I'm never going to bl blame entirely the victim mm -hmm. in this matter, but there were societal things that helped let it progress and get out of control. Yeah, I think one of the things I really liked because it, it was as we experienced a series of workshops we did small right. work, uh, small group facilitated workshops that right. uh, you and I had the opportunity to facilitate. And what I loved about it was there were these, you know, they gave you materials with a little bit of reading right. that, that reminded you of these, you know, uh, these things that happen, um, you know, the horrible sins of the church that took place. But they also put it, as you just said, into a context that here are the contributing factors. And they got us to talk about that. Right. Why did it happen? So we could try to work so it would not happen again. But in that, as, and I think this was easily the most powerful piece, it invited each of us to share our particular experience, our emotion, right. our feeling. Stuff came out. You know, and it was a safe place. Fortunately, there was no yes. judgment. Uh, but I think it was for me, it, it allowed people to go through that grieving process and to move towards healing. It was powerful. You're right. These I think were, that's the end. You know, yeah. the, the, the last couple of sessions was moving towards reconciliation. Correct. Not so much going back to the perpetrator or the people that were infected, but for self, reconciling it within self so that I can move forward. Mm-hmm. And so this this pilot program, and, and you're right, we kind of stacked the deck uh, in that. And uh, it was how many of these? There were maybe eight or ten groups, I yeah, think, there around was about the diocese. Eight. Yeah, and we each had I don't know how big your group was. I ten. I, okay, yeah, I think I think I ended up with eight. But there were people that we had selected to participate to test the system. We knew mm -hmm. that they would be willing to go through it. You know, mm -hmm. for, for our group, you know, I, I selected individuals that were in the region that was most effective, that okay. became most public. Mm -hmm. And so the dynamics were, was just amazing. So you had people like me that was like, I don't get it. This has no bearing on me because it didn't happen to me. Mm -hmm. To the person that says, I was there. I saw it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And watching that dynamic happen. Right. And I do know as a result of that, there were some parishes that picked up this program, moved forward mm -hmm. with this program, which was great because that was that was the goal. Right. Uh, it, it didn't come out as a, a mandate from the diocese, but it was a, another resource, another tool on the toolboxes. Another opportunity. Another opportunity for people to, to move forward. Other parishes have done other things, bringing in counselors in for listening right. sessions, because I think it's the listening part of that yes. that was the most important. We weren't telling people how to feel, how to respond. We were listening to what they were feeling and providing them with some possible paths through discussion, not yes. through not through mandate. So now I want to turn the attention more specifically to this whole concept that we've been talking about of the deacon's role in all of this. We talked about deacon as healer, as bridge builder. So using this model as an example, and, and I want to make it very clear, we're not shills for uh, Renew International here. We're, we're not getting kickbacks on healing our church. Um, so we aren't advocating for any particular program to adopt. But 
using this as an example, why do you think that deacons might be good candidates to facilitate small groups such as this or be involved in the process of healing? Or conversely, if you don't agree with that, if you you know, think deacons would be horrible people to, to try to facilitate <laughs> that, that's okay too. Uh, you know, I want to have an honest, uh, honest discussion on this. I think it's a both and. That's fair. You can't avoid it because we are human. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's going to be those that are going to be so guarded for the church. You know, they're going to protect. They're the guardians of the sacraments, the guardian of the good name of the Catholic Church, that that can become a flaw. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the advantage we have as deacons is that our pastoral presence. So if we really put on our pastoral presence, our good listening skills, mm -hmm. our ability to be aware of what's going on around us, to look for the minor symptoms. Because mm -hmm. most of the time, think about it, when, when you hear the news, the neighbor always comes over and said, I had no idea that he had all those guns and bombs in his house. Right. I had no idea that those children were locked up in there. Mm-hmm. Because he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. We miss the little things. Yeah. And so, the, you know, our positions within the church take us outside the church, inside the church, and, and we should always be attentive to the norm of our sheep. And our sheep will tell us without saying a word, something's not right. I think you hit the nail on the head uh, when you said it really depends on the person. We can't make a blanket statement about deacons because if... We see our role as defenders of the church. You know, right. you know I, one of the, the best lines I ever heard when I was going through formation is the church needs neither an unloving critic or an uncritical lover. Right. Mm -hmm. The church does not need people that are just have no love and are going to criticize the church all the time. That doesn't help the church right. get better. But an uncritical lover. The church is right no matter what is equally as disastrous to not just the church, but any institution. Right. And so we need um, if deacons choose to take this role as a healer uh, in this regard, they need to be open to the fact that when someone comes to you, your goal is not to defend the church. The church, I often say the church is a big girl. You know, right. she can she can defend herself. She is the sacrament of Jesus Christ. Church is going to be fine. But we need to be able to be that bridge. As long as we keep it mindful that she is broken. Correct. She is not perfect. Right. right. And therefore, she is susceptible to temptations that we have to be alert to. Exactly. And so for deacons, you know, you also mentioned in our role as a bridge to sort of secular life, because we work in the workplace, live in the neighborhoods, raise families engage people through our kids' sports activities or through any other social engagement, we are more available to be perhaps that, that trusted friend that right. someone will mention things to. And so it is, it is likely that when people are broke, not just with this crisis, but with any crisis, right. that people will come to us. And I think that is why we do play a special role. For most of us, that because 93% of the deacons in the U.S. are married men. Correct most of them with children, mm -hmm. so we can relate. Mm -hmm. We understand that protective role of our children. 
Yeah, right. And we, we need to be there. You can make another St. Joseph shout out if you want to yeah. right now. Uh, you know, I was giving you that opportunity. Right. Because he was the protector of right. the divine son. Right. And this is what we're called to do as well. So, right. Uh, and protector of, of the son, meaning the, the sacrament of the church. And, and the right? virginity of Mother Mary. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a beautiful role model. So I can set you up again, Joe. I'm Why, doing my you. best to do that. Um, I'll I've got to use that in my workshop for this coming. Good, week. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know you have a St. Joseph's <laughs> workshop coming up here pretty soon. I've totally lost track on time today. I got so into this conversation. I'm, I'm okay. So we're we're coming to the end. Yeah, I just asked Catherine. She's giving me the like. Yeah, you guys went on way too long. That's okay. I I I, I think this was important, and I did get lost in. Um, so Joe, I'm just going to ask you any final thoughts on the role of deacons in helping heal these hurts or. Reestablishing these relationships within the church. It's just a reiteration of what we already said, that we have to be open to hear the hurt, to hear the wound, and then suppress our desire to defend Mm -hmm. the church. Allow healing to happen and guide them. I mean, I think the biggest thing, if there's a real wound, if there's a real hurt, if there's a real victimization, we have to guide them to the professionals. We may not be the best person to try to resolve this conflict or this situation, but to forward it. And especially if it's a criminal act, that it's got to be reported. Yeah. And uh, so, again, following those uh, definite reporting requirements, but as you said, we're not necessarily the professionals. You and I have both taken the class on mental health first aid, and there are professionals, and we need to know when to refer. Yes. Absolutely. Well, that was intense, but it was important, and it was good. And we really appreciate you, our listeners, for for taking this two-part journey with us. The topic of deacon as healer and as bridge builder Uh, had entered forcefully into both uh, Deacon Joe's and my hearts. And so we've learned that when that happens, not to ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why uh, we've invited you on this this two-episode journey. For our brother deacons, we pray that this discussion has given you ideas on how you may help our church in this vital role. So what's next on the menu? Well, like many hospitality establishments that are returning to full operation post-pandemic, I feel like we're ready to open up our full menu again. And I was actually reviewing it last week, all the topics we had listed, and I've identified a number of delectable treats to explore. Which will be next? Well, you just have to tune in for our next episode to find out. Sadly, we've reached closing time of the Deacon's Den, but we're glad you dropped by. Come back on when you hunger for hearty discussions on the diaconate and Catholic conversation. And until we meet again, I pray you walk closely with God on life's journey. And when you feel the urge to visit the Deacon's Den, remember, there's always a corner booth reserved just for you.